Welcome to the Style Life Innovator Series. Today, I have the honor of interviewing Dr. Tom Neighbors. He's a pioneer and expert in the field of microbiology, immunology, and the field of oral systemic health. Following a career in dentistry, he launched Oral DNA Labs, the first lab in the US to offer PCR testing to identify and provide the diagnostic relevance of oral pathogens for clinicians. He then went on to establish direct diagnostics, and we're going to learn all about this today. Welcome, Dr. Neighbors. Well, thank you, Liz. It's my pleasure to be with you this morning. Well, we really appreciate your time, and uh, I'd like to learn from you, you know, and maybe you could explain to all of us why, why should we offer salivary diagnostics for identical patients? What is the importance of that? Well, that's a wonderful question. And I will refer back to a Dr. Leroy Hood from a number of years ago, an MD and PhD, when he talked about the future of medicine. He said the future of medicine would require what we call the four Ps. The first P being predict, can we predict disease? The second P meaning prevent, can we prevent disease? The third being personalize for those that have disease, can we personalize treatment? And the last P being uh, participatory, meaning that can we get our patient involved in the active transformation from disease-oriented to a health-oriented lifestyle? So relative to our topic of periodontal disease, in the past, we have used uh, radiographs, we've used visual examination, and we've used our periodontal probe to uh, create a clinical picture, if you would, of what the supposed health or disease relationship that we see with a particular patient. And what we have learned over the years, of course, is that clinical presentation is simply an indication of what ha has happened relative to what we would call past damage. And we have needed diagnostics that will do those four Ps. Can we predict? Can we prevent? Can we personalize and get the patient involved? And that's the reason we need the clinical lab, just as medicine has been using the clinical laboratory for over a hundred years, right. we need the clinical laboratory for the same purposes. And we created the first salivary diagnostic lab back in 2008 for that purpose. So using a single saliva test, looking at what we know today and has been uh, clarified through the Journal of Medical Microbiology just a few months ago, there are only a very few oral microorganisms that we would call pathogens that create the dysbiosis that's so familiar to us all today. And we can test for these at any age group to do exactly what Dr. Hood has asked us to do. We can predict those who are going to have periodontitis we can prevent that from happening, and we can personalize treatment for those that already have the disease. So that's the reason that we need salivary diagnostics. It's really valuable as a hygienist myself of, of 40 years, and then using uh, salivary diagnostics, uh, there are patients that come in, and many offices would use this as um, to create a profile of that new patient. And the relevance of that is there are patients that I've seen in my chair that had no bleeding, you know, and then once we got the test back, found that there were pathogens above threshold. So we don't always see the clinical signs because the that 
you know, the yeah. bacteria are there before we do. And then how do we know that we've actually been effective treating their disease with what we do non-surgically? And then of course, surgically beyond that, you know, without really looking at those pathogens. So the need is, it's incredible. It's very dramatic when we really see those results and how it relates to the patients or uh, systemic health as well, because that is the information that's also provided in the reports that they get, get back. So as far as direct diagnostics is concerned, what sets direct diagnostics apart from other companies that are offering PCR testing today? Well, thank you for that question. And so over the past 15 years or so, being involved with the clinical laboratory model and then speaking to thousands of hygienists and dentists and periodontists around the country throughout those years and answering questions relative to this particular topic. Should we use it? Should we not use it? How important it is and all of that. Uh, one of the most uh, significant, um, let's say, uh, pushbacks uh, from patient was cost. Uh, our original test that we created in 2008 um, was around 100 to $115. And for many patients that presented a roadblock. So as I began to think over the years, uh, is it possible for us to reduce the cost? In other words, allow the cost not to be as much of a barrier as it has been in the past. Secondly, what I wanted to do too was to look at the science relative to, let's say 2022 and compare that to 2008. Has our science evolved throughout those past 14 years? And the answer is absolutely it has. As you are very familiar with the original test, we indicated that there were certain pathogens that were high risk. That, in, that was really based from a 10-year longitudinal trial at Harvard. And those individuals that have these microorganisms that you are very familiar with, those high-risk organisms, um, we can expect alveolar bone loss over time. And we can, let's say, predict that these people are definitely gonna have alveolar bone loss as long as we keep those pathogens there. And as you indicated, we need to test before and after to see if our treatment has eliminated them. And then we had that middle group that we called the moderate group or, or let's say moderate risk relative to alveolar bone loss. The reason for that was at that point in time, we knew that, that there was a relationship to alveolar bone loss, but not as strong as the high risk group. And then the green, we had very little, let's say scientific data that those in the CS group uh, were, would actually cause alveolar bone loss. So as we look 14 years and you know, past 2008, what we have learned, it's really the high risk group that controls everything. The AAs, the PG, the TF, the TD, and then we'll add FN. FN is sort of an outlier. It uh, can, can go both ways. The, the point being is what we've learned in this biofilm community that these high-risk bacteria, particularly A and PG, but also TF and TD, actually transfer their virulence to everything in the biofilm community. Therefore, what we've realized is that's the, that's the only target we need. We only need the high-risk target. What did that allow us to do? Then it allowed us to reduce the numbers of pathogens we needed to test for, which would give us the ability to lower the cost. So in that process, the third thing I wanted to do is make it easier to understand. So it's a lot easier to understand high risk than to try to understand high risk, moderate risk, and low risk. Easier for the patient, easier for the hygienist, easier for the dentist, 
And therefore, today, based on the relevance of the medical microbiology um, information that looked at 61 years of oral microbiology and in this particular topic, we now center on just five oral pathogens that are the keys, and that in the literature, actually, they are called keystone pathogens. So those are the ones that we need, and that's the reason I wanted to develop a new test. Absolutely. And you talk about, you know, the risk of alveolar bone loss, but we know, based on a lot of research, the connection between, for example, PG and Javalis in, in dementia and pathogens and their relationship to cardiovascular disease. So, you know, that science is out yeah. there. We know that there's that connection. So you are, we're literally saving people's lives here, you know, yeah. what we do, and we can be you know, very right. objective about it with this type of testing. And right. that's, I know that because uh, this is an area that uh, people may be embarking upon and need to get that support so they can be effective and be able to implement it both financially and logistically into their schedules. You have a pretty incredible training program with direct diagnostics. So, you know, how does an office get started and how do you help support them once they are? Well, thanks for asking that question, too, because that was one of the main things I learned over the years relative to using the clinical laboratory model, and that is that dental hygienists and dentists and periodontists really are not taught the clinical laboratory model. So when we graduate from our training, we are all trained pretty much the same way, and that's, uh, I call this um, periodontology lost in 1936. Why do I say that? It's because that's when the periodontal probe was actually invented by Dr. Williams. So we're using technology that came around 1936 to, to actually diagnose disease. Rather incredible when you kind of think about that concept. Um, and so what I learned is that there needed to be an educational model for uh, our dental teams to understand why to use testing and then the information that was on the report. What did that mean relative to the health of the patient, the oral health? And as you very eloquently explained there, how does that relate to the systemic health of the patient? And in particular, the word of systemic inflammation, how does that relate to all of the inflammatory diseases as you made reference to there? And so again, when we created our new laboratory, we wanted to have very, very validated targets, the targets being the pathogens. We wanted to actually improve the accuracy of our test, which I didn't mention early. So our test is much more accurate. It's actually 10 times more accurate than the next type test out there. And uh, we also wanted to create a learning program. So when we, um, let's say, engage with a practice that wants to learn how to test, uh, then we also want to engage with them in a pre-educational model as well. And we have that set up very, very nicely uh, with dental hygienists uh, that are very well trained, uh, as you are, in understanding the need for testing that, is, that have used testing, and they will help you uh, work through the model, not only how to take the sample, but how to explain the report and also even how to treat it <laughs> based on the many different let's say antimicrobial models that are out there. And I would say, we don't try to change the particular model that you're using. We try to add to that if you're not getting the results that you would like to get for the patient. So 
we, we are very much involved in the educational model as well. That's so important. And I also yeah. just wanted to mention, because another really impressive part of this, and as I've learned through my own journey, you know, yes. of all how all this comes together, we're not, you provide testing, not just for the pathogens, but also testing the patient's DNA to see if their immune system uh, overreacts based on mutations you know, and causes an exaggerated inflammatory response. And you also do drug mapping and other tests uh, that we can provide for our patients. So it's really a go-to because if you have that information about the patient's genetics, the risk factors are different for that patient. And that's why you were talking and have established this personalized program. We can't try to fit everybody into a cookie cutter approach because of the needs. So that's going to dictate how often we see them for their maintenance and our expectation of how they heal. So I'm just so happy that you have done this and, and thank you so much for all that you've provided, you know, for our community to be able to really, you know, improve and save people's lives and uh, with, with a simple test. So thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Neighbors. It's so well, good to talk you, to you. It has been, it is so good to talk to you too. And I treasure these times that we have an opportunity to speak and thank you for all the good work that you're doing. Thank you. And, and all of you who have joined us today, we appreciate your time as well. And uh, come back next time for our next edition of the Style Life Innovator Series. Thank you all so much.